Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about Renata's childhood so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Animorphs number one. Joining us to discuss this pseudo-educational sci-fi soap opera is fantasy map cartographer, aspiring filmmaker, and founding member of the Nice is Neat fan club, Priscilla Spencer. Hi, Priscilla. Hello. Thanks for joining us. I'm so happy to talk to you about these books. Well, this book, but all 54 of these books. Secretly. <laughs> secretly. reading around like 29. You know what? I did too, but then um, when I was in the Peace Corps, I got bootleg copies of all of them, and I had like a lot of free time. So I finished out the series at that stage of my life. And oh, I have so much respect for you right now. It got really dark at the end. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I heard from Nicole. I mean, the beginning is moderately dark, but like these books are intense. <laughs> uh, but before we before we jump ahead to the last book, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Yes, all of the tropes to prepare us for like various other types of horror later in life. Yeah, body horror. It starts here, folks. You guys read these growing up. I did not. So, <laughs> what, I mean, what about them? Well, let's back up a little bit. So, part of the reason why we're doing this, um, the Animorphs book, is that for the next couple of weeks, the next couple episodes, I guess, uh, we're going to be kind of doing a flashback summer where we revisit the committee-written series of our youth. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is the first one. So, this was... Uh, like I said, Renata and Priscilla read these when they were kids. I did not, although my cousin and brother both did. So I sort of heard a lot about them secondhand. So what what about these is so enduring that 20 years later, you're like, still like, this is so good. There's nothing bad we can say about this, in this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's like literally one of my notes. <laughs> um Great question. Well, part of it, I think, is definitely wrapped up in the fact that this was, like, my first fandom. Like, when we got our dial-up internet connection, I went and found an Animorphs email list on the internet, and that's how I met Priscilla, and, Mm -hmm. like, some other people who I have kept in touch with for, you know, 16 years. What? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that that first AOL chat room, Cassie's Barn. Oh my god. I didn't have that. I didn't have AOL. We had other internet, but I was on, what was it, um, morphswithaz.com, I want to say. <laughs> so that was, that's part of it, I think, definitely. I don't know exactly. I think maybe partly the age that I read them at, which is junior high, they really, like, imprinted on me because of that age. And they are just so... I think I still think this is such a smart concept. I guess if you're not familiar with the concept of Animorphs, the concept is that there are these aliens called Yerks who are slugs that are like parasites and they take over your, they crawl through your ear and they take over your whole, they make you like a pod person basically. And then there are some other aliens who are trying to stop them, but they're real busy. So they just <laughs> gave their their ability to morph into other animals. They gave it to five teenagers and are like, can you guys take care of this for a minute? And we'll be back real soon with reinforcements. 
just give me a minute. But it's not a minute, it's like years. And it's just these five kids and their new alien friend. And I, I think it's so smart because with so much of the stuff, you're like, well, why didn't you just like tell an adult? Like, it's dumb that it's kids. But here it's like, well, any, like, the adults are aliens, and they don't know, they literally mm-hmm. don't know who they can trust besides the five of them, and it it really makes sense in as much as anything about alien slugs can make sense. And I yeah. and the rules of, like, the morphs and stuff, I mean, this was part of what we would talk about on our chats, is, like, wait, how can they turn into an elephant? Or, like, what happens to the rest of their body if they turn into an ant? And so, I mean, that was kind of an enjoyable thought experiment. But overall, I think the concept is just so cool to me. And the idea of being able to turn into an animal. Oh, and then also they're written in these real, like, faux confessional, like, my name is Jake, but I can't tell you my last name because they'll find me. Like, it really drew me in. (laughs) And, I mean, I knew that it wasn't real. I knew there wasn't real Jake. But it was just written in a way that, like, maybe, though. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing this like great mapping project, like trying to figure out like where they would have been located in the country based on like the various amusement parks and like stuff in their area. Yeah, I, I took it way too seriously <laughs> as a child. And now you are a fantasy map cartographer. I am. It all <laughs> goes full circle. Um, in the in the later books, they drop the pretense and they reveal it's Southern California, and they give oh, you seriously yeah, and they give you their like full names and stuff too. Ooh. Yeah, because they're, they're in the later books, they're like, well, like, shit's fucked anyway, so, like, we're in Southern California, and here's this and this, and if you read this, and they, like, abandon their families and have to go live in the woods and stuff. <laughs> it's so intense. <laughs> Dude, I feel like as a resident of Southern California, it's now, like, my obligation to read the rest of the Animorphs books and, like, go on this, like, pilgrimage. Yes. Not to talk about the end of the series before we even describe the plot of the first one. <laughs> But I, like, literally, my cousin who read these, Nicole, who's been on the show a couple times, told me about how the series ended. And I was like, there is no fucking way that a middle grade series ended like that. That is dark. I mean, (laughs) from day one, they're so dark. Like, we have, well, I guess it's maybe it happens in book one and they don't really talk about the implications until the next few books. But... So the, the rules of this animal morphing are that you can only do it for two hours at a time. And if you do it for more than two hours, then you are stuck and you can't turn back to your normal body. So Tobias, who's this like sad sort of abused kid who like alternates between living with his aunt and uncle, but neither of them really wants him there. So they don't really pay attention to him. So he ends up stuck as a hawk uh, at the end of this book because he didn't change back within two hours. And nobody gives a shit. Like, his his family takes forever to even, like, realize he's missing. And it's really strongly implied that he stayed a bird on purpose because he hated being a human so much, which mm-hmm. is so dark. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the book, let, let's, uh, well, why don't we talk about what this book's actually about, and then maybe we'll circle back around to Animorphs as a phenomenon. Oh my gosh. So. So we open up with Jake, who can't tell us his last name or where he's from because they might come get him. And he's at the mall with his friends, with his best friend, Marco, who's kind of the Jake is the 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 thoughtful leader. Jake is the Cyclops. Jake is the Cyclops. (laughs) Marco is the Iceman. Cassie's the Gene. Rachel's the Wolverine. 
<laughs> Tobias <laughs> is, I don't know. <laughs> Tobias is Lockheed the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's there with his sarcastic, quipping best friend, Marco, and they're getting ready to leave the mall, and they bump into uh, Tobias, who's this kind of sad sack kid who follows Jake around because Jake saved him from bullies once, and Rachel, who's Jake's cousin, who's, like, really self-assured and also model pretty, and Cassie, who's very, very quiet very 90s feminism is Rachel. Yes. Very hashtag Spice girl power. Girl power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then Cassie, who's like quiet and loves animals and is very sensitive. And they go to head home. And the quickest way to get home is to take a shortcut through an abandoned construction site, which they're not supposed to do. But they do it anyway. And while they're crossing the abandoned construction site, they see a UFO falling out of the sky towards them. And it kind of lands roughly and this alien comes out of it and it's like a centaur, but with no mouth and like eye stalks. And uh, he tells them that he's dying and that he's on the run from other aliens and that the aliens have already infiltrated Earth and they want to take over the planet and they're horrible. And he, he was just defeated in a space battle by them. And decides as kind of his dying wish, uh, he is an Andalite alien, he is a prince, to give these kids, these five kids, the power that his race has to morph into other creatures after acquiring their DNA. He does that to them. They're all like real shell-shocked. They don't exactly know what's going on. They don't know, they're not really believing what they're seeing. They don't really understand what he's telling them, but they do understand that more alien spaceships are on the way of the bad guys. Um, So the bad guys land and they attack the prince. And while they're attacking him, the kids realize that he has sort of like a psychic thought projection power, which in the text is... Uh, indicate it with little um, less than and greater than signs mm-hmm. surrounding the text. That's how you know they're talking in thought speak. Just like um, <laughs> just like telepathy and fanfiction. It's the same. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that telepathy and fanfiction took it from thought speech. I, I think this is, we're looking at the Ur convention happening here. Yeah. And so they, they watch like these aliens, these bad aliens murder this poor dude essentially um when they're the the leader of the bad alien shows up and he is another andalite who has been infected by a yerk which is the bad brain slug alien that's trying to take over the world and has successfully taken over some other planets uh so they run away and they're almost caught but they end up getting away and jesus what happens next well, then they, then the they get day. away. Yeah. Right, right. They get away, and then the next day at school and after school, they're kind of like, "That what, did that really happen? I don't even know. I think that really happened. And then they meet up to talk at... Um, and this is, again, these books are so smart, I think. Uh, Cassie's parents are veterinarians, and they have a wildlife rescue barn facility, because of course. So they meet at her barn, and this is going to be like super useful for them in all the future books. But they meet there, and they kind of talk about what's going on, 
what are they yeah uh, like marco's like we gotta just forget this ever happened we're just kids you know maybe we should tell the authorities and everyone's like you dumb dumb you can't because remember those those aliens could be anybody we don't know and uh tobias is the first one to actually try out morphing and he turns into his cat and he's like bros it works it was awesome and then, the cat's even named dude. The cat's it's... named dude. He's like, dude, I was dude, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they all eventually like try it out. Um, they decide that they're they're not going to decide. Essentially, is what what the conclusion they come to is that they're going to take some time to think about whether they want to a save the world work to save the world or B forget this ever happened and go on with their lives. And while they're trying to take a break from having to make this decision, um, they have a, an interaction with Jake's older brother, Tom, who he like kind of worships a little. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, Marco is like, Jake, I think your brother is one of the aliens. Yeah. Cause, cause his, because Tom, his brother, is like, hey, uh, we heard there was a, a UFO. Like, that's crazy, right? You don't know anything about that, right? And it's just, like, a little bit sinister, where it's, like, it seems like he does know that it was Jake who was at that construction site, and it seems like it's not great. And also, oh, well, so uh, Tom reveals around this time that he has quit the basketball team, which was previously very important to him and instead he's spending all his time with the sharing which is like a co-ed boy and girl scouts type situation and he keeps trying to get jake to join the sharing and it really sounds like a cult and other people too like a a, the police officer whose job it is to try and find the kids who are at the construction site because it's now like suddenly a priority in the town for them to find these kids who they thought because uh, in the paper it says that kids were putting off fireworks and that was what the supposed UFO was. Uh And there's like a real push to find them. And the cop who's like trying to find them keeps like, oh, you guys should come join the sharing. Like, it's great. All all the best kids join it and you should just come to one of our meetings. Like, it's very clearly like this cult-like weird. Yeah. Yes. And so the kids, uh, our, our team of Animorphs, will say, they decide they should go to this sharing meeting and just kind of see what they can find out. Because it does seem like something shady with the sharing, but they're not quite sure what yet. So they decide they're going to kind of split up and Tobias is going to, and they, they meet out on the beach partly. And so Tobias is going to go be a bird because he loves being a bird. And uh, so he can, like, fly, fly over it and, um, you know, check it out from above. And other people are going to be lizards so they can kind of sneak into the meeting room. Because Tom tells them there's, like, there's a new members meeting, but then, like, the established members have our own secret meeting that's totally secret and you can't come because... At the time, actually, Jake was a dog. I guess the lizard came later. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, you're right. Oh, so creepy when they had the lizards. Anyway, they're they're sneaking around. Animorphs gatekeeper fandom here. Yes. <laughs> uh, so they're sneaking around, and they they have confirmation that the sharing is looking for these kids, and that they are all totally secretly bad aliens. And uh, so while while Jake is nosing around to spy on them as a dog, 
uh, Cassie gets worried about him and wanders um, up towards where the secret meeting is. And the same cop who had confronted them earlier sees her again and is like, what are you doing? Why are you snooping around? And she's like, oh, I was just looking for shells. Like, I didn't realize I couldn't come over here. It's a free beach. Why wouldn't I be able to be here? Um, and he kind of, like, pulls her away. So they they decide, like, now they have to come up with a plan. Like, they can't ignore this anymore. Uh, Jake's brother's a part of it. They need to save him. They need to figure out what's going on. So one of the people that, whose voice they recognize is their vice principal. Yes. But this so, is another thing that I think is so genius about these books is the vice principal of the school is like one of the higher up leaders of the evil aliens. And it's just like, of course, like, of course, the middle school principal is a crazy like mm-hmm. alien dictator, <laughs> obviously. And of course, the Yurik pool is underneath the school. I mean, it's just so perfectly like tapping into that childhood suspicion of authority and everything. It's great. Yes. Uh, so they Jake uh, Jake acquires a lizard at this point, as uh, Renata alluded to before, and <laughs> at school the next day turns into a lizard and follows the vice principal around to try and figure out what's going on to spy on him. And they discover that the regenerative pool that the Yerks have to go into like once every three days is actually, as Priscilla said, underneath the school. And they know that Tom had said at the secret meeting that he was going back Monday night. So they know that they need to have a plan now that so that, that night they can go and try to save Tom and infiltrate the Yerks. So they go after school to the zoo where Cassie's mom is a vet and sneak back behind the exhibits to acquire as many animals as they can like big scary animals because they realize that like a horse and a dog and a red-tailed hawk and a lizard are not really gonna be any good against these crazy giant aliens. And they have they have shenanigans at the zoo, right? Like the security mm-hmm. guards chase uh-huh. them into the lion, the tiger pit, the tiger pit. But eventually they get out and they have all these animals acquired and they decide to go home for dinner and re-meet later that night to go on their quest to the Yerk Pool. Except when they go to regroup, no one has seen Cassie and her parents say she never came home for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, so they head over to the school, just the four of them. Tobias is already a hawk, which Jake points out several times is a stupid idea because they don't know how long it's going to take. And they sneak into the York pool and they see that Cassie's been captured by the same cop from before who's trying to forcibly get her infected with the York. Uh, they also see that Tom, Jake's brother, is not a voluntary York host, a controller. Uh, he's doing it against his will, which makes... Um, Jake feel pretty good about his brother not being a total creep. Yeah. Because, and it's, again, these books are so dark. It's so horrible. This And it's like this huge pool underneath the school and there's cages because every three days the alien slugs have to go in the pool and so they like, you know, you lower your head to the pool, let your slug climb out your ear and then the humans get trapped in cages while the slug is feeding and then just like... It's so grim, you know, you're, they're there and, like, watching and knowing that the slug is going to get put back in their ear and there's, like, nothing they can do about it. 
And then they and also they have like the collaborators elsewhere in the Eurek pool that are like sitting and watching TV while all of this horror is happening around them. Yeah. Um, so they say at one point too that like the, the people in the cages, some of them are just sort of like depressed and resigned and some of them are angry and some of them are just screaming in horror the entire time. It's yeah, it is it is pretty grim, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> For validating uh, this book. <laughs> so they, have, they, they get into a big fight where they morph into animals and they go after the bad guys and they manage to escape with Cassie. And, and Cassie a- kills a dude, it's implied. Yeah. The the, the police officer guy that, that, uh, that had captured her. Yeah. It says she doesn't want to talk about it, but yeah, more darkness. Yeah, these Did kids I, have hella PTSD. <laughs> I I didn't. I guess I didn't read that as her having killed him. I read that as her having watched him watched him be killed. Hmm. But I think it could go either way. It's ambiguous. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it did really surprise me upon the reread saying that because like the idea of Cassie killing, especially like at that really early time in the series, like I felt like that would have had a really profound impact later on. Yeah. But yeah, so it, it might have been that she just saw him die. So either way, it's a, either way, it's like it's a fucking dark. grim scene all around. And the the two the one important thing that comes out of this, well, one is that they try to escape with Tom, and he ends up being captured again by the Yerks. He doesn't get out with them. But the other thing is because they're morphing, uh, the bad guys assume that they're Andalite warriors, not that they're you know, earthling teenage kids who got this power from a dying Andalite prince, but mm-hmm. that um, there more Andalites have come on the planet and that that's who they're fighting against, which works well for their anonymity, at least at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. And it also yeah. makes them realize just like what a huge endeavor this is. Like it's this huge pool. It's like the police, the principal, everybody is involved. It's not going to be easy what they have in store for them yeah and the York pool itself like it's bigger than the school i mean it's described as being like you could have a super bowl and a couple shopping malls in the size of this enormous underground area like they've been here a long time and they are well situated and there are clearly like a huge number of people that have already been infected yes um and then the last important thing that happens is Tobias gets stuck as a bird forever. Emo hawk. Yeah, as previously discussed. He kind of likes it, though. Yes. And so and that... does Rachel. <laughs> and uh, and that's, that's where the story for this book ends. So do you guys... I don't, Renata, since you read the rest of them, do you want to, like, vaguely, quickly, if you can, summarize what happens in the rest of the series? I Oh, I'll do my best. And the thing about these is that they they were in that kind of, like, scholastic book-a-month era, so some of them are ghost-written, and some of them are actually written by K.A. Applegate, which is itself a pseudonym for the, the married couple writing team of Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant, who have both gone on to have some pretty successful books under their own original names written on their own. And so these books really vary in quality. There's some that are great. And then some of the ghost written ones are just like, Ooh, you know what? We needed to have a book this month. And so like 
they went to Area 51 and nothing really happened. It was kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> but Is there a list somewhere of like who wrote which book? I'd be very curious. I, I think I have seen that because the, the tell is if it's not written by them, then it's got like the author wishes to thank so-and-so for their help in preparing this manuscript mm. at the front. Gotcha. I know there's a list of who wrote all the Babysitter's Club books, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was one for Animorphs, if only because there are fewer Animorphs books to have to track down. Yeah, there's only <laughs> 54 plus whatever side books there are. Um, some of the yes. main important things that happen throughout the series are there's these time travel aliens, or maybe there's only one of them. I don't know. There's a thing called the Elemist that partway into the series gives Tobias the ability back to morph. But Bird is still his true form, so now he can, like, change from Bird into human for two hours, but... Yeah, he, like, takes him back in time to when, like, before he became a bird, and, like, he acquires his past body. Yeah. So, fun times. Um, That happens... Actually, I was surprised that he wasn't in this book. Um, They... Very soon in the series, they acquire a teenage alien Andalite friend called Axe. He's a really fun character because he, you know, he is an alien, so he knows all this alien stuff, but he's a teenage alien who, like, accidentally crash-landed, so he doesn't know all the adult alien stuff. Like, they're kind of like, can you build a spaceship? And he's like, no, like, I'm still in school. Uh, and it's just, like, it's just pretty cute. And also, so Andalites absorb nutrition through their hooves, and they talk through telepathy so they don't have mouths. So the character of Axe, when he's in human morph, is just obsessed with having a mouth. And so like, he, <laughs> he loves eating. And it's not as, like, gross as I sounded just now. But, like, he loves to eat any kind of food. And he's just, like, really captivated by anything that has a taste, including just, like, garbage. And he likes to say words. Like, he'll repeat syllables just because he likes how they sound. Uh, it's, he's, it's really funny. I really like Axe. Uh, he refers to Jake as his prince because he's the leader of the Animorphs. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's a really fun character that I'm kind of bummed we didn't get to see. Uh, they, you know, they find, um, what else? So they know that Tom is a controller, Jake's brother. They find out, so at the start of the series, Marco is being raised by a single depressed dad because his mom died at sea, but she didn't really die. She is secretly, (gasps) like, one of the leaders of the Yerks. Like, actually, is she the leader on Earth? Yeah. Yeah, she's like... She is, like... Maybe not even on Earth, because um, like she has like the top Visser title. She's Visser One. Right. Yeah. So yeah, she's the boss of the guy that runs Earth, basically. Yeah. So like she resurfaces, and Marco's like, "Oh my god, my mom's alive!" And she is the head of all the evil aliens, and so they have to work hard to kind of um, they because they don't want to just kill her because if you kill the then, like, his mom dies, too. You have to get the alien separated from her to save the mom and get the alien out, which they eventually do, but it takes many books. Yes. One thing that happened that still haunts me is one time Cassie got, what, she got, not possessed, she got controlled by a yerk, and so they took her and kept her in the woods for three days, because they- That that happened to Jake. No, oh, you're right, okay, Cassie had a separate thing. Cassie Ooh. made friends. I must have stopped reading before it happened to Cassie. 
what happened? Okay, something happened with Cassie where she made a deal with a yerk that because the yerk was like, "Hey, Cassie, like it's not fair that you guys don't want us to have these bodies because it sucks being a slug," and she's like, "Well, it sucks being controlled by aliens too." And so they make this deal, and she's like, "Okay, well, if you agree to stop controlling people, then I'll agree to turn myself into a worm and stay that way forever." And the yerk is like, "Cool deal," and so she does, but. Mm-hmm. She turns herself into a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly and then twists when she's a butterfly, then it resets her two hours and she can turn back to human. But (laughs) she didn't know that was going to happen. And it's like very haunting. Yes. Also, so the The butterfly's lifespan is super short. Like that, that scene where like she is like turning into the butterfly, like emerging from the chrysalis and everyone is like looking at her like ridiculously sad. Yeah. Oh my god, it's so sad. That messed me up as a kid. Yeah. So, as, as we saw in this book, they get the power to morph from this blue cube that is lost, but then they later find it again, and they decide they're, if they're going to fight these aliens, they need to make a new animorph, and they pick this kid, David, who it turns out is the worst. A sociopath? Oh my gosh, like, nightmare kid. And so they realize, like, they have made a mistake. They're going to have to do something about David because he's going to ruin everything. And so... He tries th- to kill Tobias. Yeah. Tries to kill Jake, too. They have, like, a lion-on-tiger fight, uh, which is very dramatic. But so they make him morph into a rat, and then they trap him as a rat forever. They make him stay past two hours. And then... Um, and then like abandon him as a mm-hmm. rat like that is haunting these books <laughs> are so dark um and then what else uh they make an uh, they make some friends uh-huh. there's like three or i guess there's like four main alien species in this which are the andalites who have the power to morph and are good guys the yurks who are the slugs and are bad guys the hork who are Good guys, except they're mostly all controlled by yurks, and they're, like, very, have very dangerous bodies, but they're very gentle, except that they're all being controlled by aliens. They're all kind of, like, Groot. They're kind of, like, like, <laughs> like pointy Groots, I think. Uh, Marco always calls them a walking salad shooter. Uh, so those exist. And then taxons are, like, giant centipedes, and they are also controlled by yurks, but voluntarily... And they're disgusting. They're basically like the massive hideous centipede monsters from Peter Jackson's King Kong. I didn't see that, but now I definitely don't want to because they sound so gross. <laughs> um, so those are like the four main ones. And so the Animorphs end up making like an alliance with some of the hork And so they end up setting like a preserve for them to live in the woods, which is amazing. <laughs> And this is another thing that I did really like about this series compared to other things I'd read around the age or earlier, like Babysitter's Club, you know, those always kind of reset. Like you, maybe one person moves away, but pretty much you can read any book in any order and it doesn't really matter. And these books have like huge lasting changes from book to book where, you know, Tobias is stuck as a bird or like, okay, now he can turn back, but like whatever. And their trauma also builds, I think, especially with Cassie, because she's really the conscience of the book, and she keeps mm-hmm. making these, like, really hard choices, such as to willingly, like, die as a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that happens. Um, as the books go on, like, things really escalate, like, it kind of becomes more out-and-out war, 
And that's when I mentioned the kids finally, like, give out their real names and their location, and they've had to abandon their homes and, like, take their families to go live in the woods because shit is getting so real. Um, oh, and this is so weird. They they have the cube back. There's a few back and forth where they, like, lose it and get it back, lose it, get it back. And when they get it back, they, they realize, like, they fucked up with David, but they still want to try again to give more kids the morphing power. And so they decide they're going to give it to kids with disabilities because they the Yerks wouldn't choose them to be controllers because the Yerks only want, like, able-bodied hosts. So kids with disabilities, like, the only people that the Animorphs can be, like, totally sure are not compromised by the Yerks. Yeah, so, the Yerk pole was not handicap accessible. It was not. It's not a lot of stairs. <laughs> So they go to, like, group homes and hospitals and stuff, and they, like, recruit all these auxiliary anamorphs who are, like, blind or wheelchair users or whatever. And so they have some more people on their side, but still not really enough. And then in the last book, it's a few years in the future. Well, the like, Rachel dies. Like, she straight up dies to... Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't remember all the details. It really comes down to, like, Tom and Rachel and uh, Visser 3, who's always been, like, the the main bad alien that the kids have seen. He's he's the one in this book who kills Prince Elfanger, who is Tobias's dad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that happened in one of the middle books, or that was revealed, I should say. Oh, so many things happen. Anyway, I don't remember all the details, but, like, Rachel sacrifices herself. She dies, and it ends this war, and it gets all the Yerks off of Earth. And then we kind of flash forward to the future, and the kids are messed up. Like, Marco is using his celebrity to kind of, like, appear on talk shows and, like, has a lot of money, but he's obviously, like, very deeply unhappy. And Cassie has become a park ranger in the Alien Preserve, and she just kind of, like, goes rogue. And, like, you know, nobody will see her for days on end because she's just, like, in the woods. Tobias, still a bird. An, an even more sad bird. <laughs> the saddest bird. And Jake is what? He gets, like, a military post or something like that, but he's still, like, a teenager. It's crazy. It's crazy, these books. I, um, so when I was Googling kind of doing some research for this episode, because like I said, I didn't read them, I found one of the links was to the TV tropes page for like Mm -hmm. saving the world by going to school by day, saving the world by night. And it specifically talked about how this series subverts it because instead of them, you know, saving the world at night and then still being, like, excellent students and nobody can tell the difference. Like, in the books, very purposely, like, they start failing their classes. Uh They, like, stop going to classes altogether. They, you know, completely withdraw from all of their other friends and just become, like, social outcasts. And, like, it's, like, the the trauma and the things that are happening to them are definitely, like, rippled throughout the larger world of the series. Yeah, it's definitely true. Like, these books are dark. And then we also occasionally see um, how, how, like, uh, Rachel's former best friend, her dad is the principal, or the, the vice principal, who, as we know, is an alien, and the daughter's just fucked up. She's like, my dad, like, doesn't love me anymore, I can't tell, and 
it's really because he's an alien. But we kind of see that, like, this is really affecting other people, even if they don't know the whole story. Oh, my God, it's so sad. So, yeah, so, like I said, these books, like, they get... And I think that was something that I liked about them, even though, like I mentioned earlier, I didn't even make it that far when I was of peak age to be reading these. Um, But even as far as I got, which, yeah, I think was around, like, mid-20s, like, I definitely read all the David stuff when I was, you know, in, in eighth grade or whatever. They're just... Yeah, they're so dark, and they take this premise so seriously, and I really appreciated that as a kid. Um, and then this is, uh, like, kind of the opposite of all this darkness, but another thing I liked about it was how, you know, I, I like I was saying, the, the tone and the sort of, like, faux diary or whatever makes it seem more realistic. And then also the fact that they always talk about, like, real brand names and real places, which you didn't see, You know, I was so used to Babysitter's Club just kind of having, like their fake mall or whatever. And this would be like, we went to Banana Republic and we went to Cinnabon and Axe the Alien is obsessed with Cinnabon and it's hilarious. But it, it, it just made everything feel more real. Or they would talk about like, mostly they would talk about real TV shows and real people. Um, occasionally there would be a thing like, there's a whole episode where they don't know if this teen idol who is basically Jonathan Taylor Thomas, <laughs> but they couldn't make a whole book about Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So what is his name, Priscilla? Jeremy Jason McColl. Yeah, I, I knew you <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's this kid, and they're, like, sneaking around backstage and talk shows and stuff, trying to figure out if this kid is a controller, and it's amazing. <laughs> so I'm on the Wikipedia page for Animorphs, and it seems as if K.A. Applegate wrote 1 through 24, and then 26, 32, 53, and 54, and the rest were all ghostwritten. And apparently, originally, she and Michael Grant were supposed to write all of them themselves, but due to a lot of other contributing factors, they had a kid, she developed difficulties writing Everworld, which was supposed to be mostly ghostwritten, so they ended up having the entire second half of the series ghostwritten. Well, that adds up. Yeah. It also appears that will... they wrote the companion books, so that takes some time. Those I seem to recall them generally being like two or three times longer than the monthly ones. Oh, yeah, we didn't even go into the companion books. Um, and these were, <laughs> like, I, I feel like a lot of series, you know, Babysitter's Club would have the super specials. What I remember most about the companion books is that there's one where they travel back in time and morph into dinosaurs, mm-hmm. which is great. And there's a few about, like, the Elemis Chronicles and the hork Chronicles and stuff that give you a little bit more world building about these other alien species and dinosaurs. Yeah. I will say that they, so they made this into a television series as well. Mm-hmm. Um and I was telling Renata and Priscilla... Starring Iceman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was telling Renata and Priscilla this before the, we started recording, that I guess early in the first season of the TV show, they had a contest where essentially you wrote fan fiction of a missing scene in the episode and submitted it online. And then like the top ones were voted on via poll. And my cousin had either the the number one or the number two it was down to like her and one other person in the poll and we would it was back in the day before like 
people on the internet were savvy to things like don't let people vote more than once in a poll. So we would literally spend like hours on the website voting for her over and over again. Um, but she did win a sweet autographed picture of the cast and an Animorphs jacket, which I believe she still has somewhere. Uh, nice. She can confirm that for us. Oh my but... gosh, amazing. Yes. Um, I remember when the TV show came out and I was very bitter because it was on Nickelodeon and uh, we did not have cable. And But then on the Animorph mailing list, I everybody hated the show. The show was, like, not as good as the book. So then I felt a little better about not being able to watch it. <laughs> I did eventually. I mean, like, recently-ish. Like, maybe in grad school, I think I watched an episode or two on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Confirmed. Mm-hmm. But it's too bad. Like, honestly, bring this back for Netflix. Make, like, a really dark, gritty Netflix show of it. (laughs) I mean, please. Please do this. Another thing that's happened that did happen is they started re-releasing these. um, And they updated a lot of the pop culture references. Because... And I was disappointed because this one actually didn't get into it as much because it had so much just alien setup to do. But... They normally have a lot of kind of quippy pop culture references that were very timely. And so that's partly why the books haven't aged well. And so they were kind of going to fix it, quote, fix it. And you just like put in stuff for today. And they did the first six books of that. And then I guess they didn't sell very well and they haven't done any more. But I just still feel like this is so good and they should just keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the... the um the references they make were like Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, like stuff that is well, that's true. timeless in the nerd community. Some of that's true, but some of it is like Xena, And also like in the, the first book, like no one has a cell phone or camera phone or anything. Yeah, so. stuff like that. Yeah. Although I guess Xena is coming back. You got to get Raina Tegelmeyer to uh, illustrate graphic novels of them. And then, you know, little girls everywhere will fall in love with them and there'll be a comeback like there was for Babysitter's Club. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be great, too. These would be good as graphic novels or Netflix TV. I think there was. It might have just been the first one. I, I think I remember there being at least one graphic novel adaptation of the series. Um, that was not, it was not um, contemporary to the books, but around the time that, because when, when Babysitter's Club started re-com- being re-released as graphic novels, uh, Goosebumps also was doing that. There was, like, every everything decided then to get on the train and release graphic novels based on these old series. I guess not really putting two and two together that maybe the reason Babysitter's Club was selling so well was because Reyna was drawing them. Right. And she's a rock star. <laughs> Um, but there were at least three or four Goosebumps, and I think at least one Animorphs. There might have been more, and we might just not have ordered it because it wasn't a big seller. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, keep it coming. That's all I got to say is keep trying because these are so <laughs> good. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe you could skip some of the middle ones there, but uh, most of these are so good. <laughs> uh, okay. Do we have anything else we want to say about the book before we move on to our dramatic readings? I guess, actually, I'm looking at the notes. Maybe we should address this question that Priscilla raised in the notes, which is, do do furries like these books? 
<laughs> and I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen anything ever on Tumblr that's like traumatized me. Uh, not that I follow furries, but I feel like even without following them, I've seen some like horrifying My Little Pony stuff that's just like crossed my path, and I've never seen that for Animorphs. Thank goodness. I would not be surprised if only because I did not read these. I was very into the Redwall books as a kid. Mm. Yes. And discovered much later that the other kids who I would talk to on the Redwall message boards and mailing lists almost universally went on to become furries. So I don't know that I would, I would be surprised if something similar was true for Animorphs. Possibly because they turn into so many different animals. It's not as if they have like one specific persona. That's true. Except for Tobias, which is a feather sauna. Well, yes. Is that a thing? <laughs> um, I will... I'm sure there's some terrifying word that exists. I will also say, um, I'd read interviews with Catherine Applegate where she talks about how really these books were kind of a trick that they wanted to force kids to learn animal facts. And usually, the, the, <laughs> like, the animal point of view, because when, when they morph an animal, they kind of get all the animal senses and stuff also, so they can... For example, if you're a bird, you get the the bird sense of like here's how flying works because as a human you don't like have that. And so they said that all the animal points of view are like as well researched as possible, and they do have that feel. And a lot of times when they are morphed into another animal, it's like horrifying these sort of sensations or feelings that they have. Or like Tobias, for example, at first when he's a bird forever, they try to bring him like hamburgers and stuff, but he like he doesn't like it and makes him feel bad as a bird. And so he just eats like, you know, he kills mice and stuff because that's what hawks eat. And so mm-hmm. I, they're kind of grossed out by it. But Tobias is just like, it's, it's what I got to do, man. And so <laughs> I think because of stuff like that, it wasn't. I mean, I, again, it's it's dark and it's not necessarily like, oh, we're like we're ponies and we kind of like cuddle and have these like horse bodies or whatever. It's like, and then I ate a fucking spider and I had too many eyes and I could see too much stuff and it was really upsetting. Yeah. I distinctly remember learning the word pedipalps from Animorphs book. Like the, the sort of spiders, like quasi foot, quasi like feeding apparatus thing. Yeah. So like a lot of the stuff is just kind of gross. And I mean, not that I think, I mean, I'm not a furry and I guess I, I don't want to cast aspersions on those who are, but I think I think that this is more gross than, like, what a furry would tend to go for, I th- mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it for more than a second, like, a big thing with, like, those red wall books and stuff was that they were anthropomorphic. And mm-hmm. these are not anthropomorphic, these are just animals. Yes. Yeah, with the exception of Cassie, in the, the brief moments that they're, like, part human, part animal, it's universally gross. Yeah, they're, they're like, they don't turn into, like, a tiger who, like, has a sense of humor and wears clothes. Like, <laughs> they turn into a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, which is, which is awesome. But perhaps that isn't quite hitting the furry community in the feels the way... That is hitting me in my feels for these traumatized bird children. <laughs> uh, I feel so much know. better about my prospect of like Googling future Animorph stuff. It's not something I'm going to have to steer clear of. If you know of people who are furries because of Animorphs. <laughs> send, them, send them to post pictures on Ruthless.com. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll have a forum set up for him over there at ruthless.com. <laughs> and now we've talked about everything important related to Animorphs. And now we'll move on to our dramatic readings. Excellent. So uh, we're going to shake things up a little bit from our usual format, just because these either had only one character or they had too many characters for us to manageably do. So each of us is just going to straight through read one selection without dividing it up. And uh, Priscilla is first up and she's got, she's got a big info dump for us right toward the beginning of the book. Yes. Beginning with chapter three. They have come to destroy you. It was strange the way we all just knew he was telling the truth. No one said, no way, or you're making it up. We all just knew. He was dying, and he was trying to warn us of something terrible. They are called Yerks. They're different from us. Different from you as well. Are you telling us they've already been here on Earth? Rachel demanded. Many are here. Hundreds. Maybe more. Why hasn't anybody noticed them? Marco said reasonably. I think someone would have mentioned it at school. You do not understand. Yerks are different. They have no body like yours or mine. They live in the bodies of other species. They are... I guess he couldn't think of a word to explain Yerkes, so he closed his eyes and seemed to concentrate. Suddenly a bright picture popped into my head. I saw a gray-green slimy thing like a snail in the pages not turning, uh, without its shell. Only bigger, the size of a rat maybe. It wasn't a pretty picture. I'm guessing that was a Yerk, Marco said. Either that or a very big wad of slimy chewing gum. They're almost powerless without hosts. They suddenly felt a blast of pain straight from the alien. I could also feel his sadness. He knew his time was almost up. The Yerks are parasites. They must have a host to live in. In this form, they are known as controllers. They enter the brain and are absorbed into it, taking over the host's thoughts and feelings. They try to get the host to accept them voluntarily. It's easier that way. Otherwise, the host may be able to resist at least a little. Are you saying they take over human beings? Rachel asked. People? These these things take over their bodies? Look, this is serious stuff. I said, you shouldn't be telling us. We're kids, you know. This is, this is like something the government should know about. We'd hope to stop them, the alien continued. Swarms of their bug fighters were waiting when our dome ship came out of Z-space. We knew of their mothership and were ready for the bug fighters, but the Yerk surprised us. They had hidden a powerful blade ship in a crater of your moon. We fought, but we lost. They have tracked us here. They will soon be here to eliminate all traces of me and my ship. How can they do that? Cassie wondered. The alien seemed to smile with his eyes. The Dracon beams will leave nothing behind but a few molecules of this ship and this body, he said. I sent a message to my homeworld. We Andalites fight the Yerks wherever they go throughout the universe. My people will send help, but it may take a year, even more, and by then the Yerks will have control of this planet. After that, there is no hope. You must tell people. You must warn your people. Another spasm of pain ripped through him, and we all knew he was nearly gone. No one is ever going to believe us, Marco said hopelessly. He looked at me and shook his head. No way. He was right. If the Yerks were to wipe out the Andalite's ship, how on earth could we ever convince people? They'd think we were either nuts or on drugs. I don't care if he thinks he's going to die. We have to try and help him, Rachel said. We can get him to a hospital, or maybe Cassie's parents. There is no time. No time, the Andalite said. Then his eyes brightened. 
perhaps. And that's when he realizes he can give these kids the power to turn into animals. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so great. (sighs) All right. Thank you for that, Priscilla. Kate's up next. She's going to try to get you to join her cult. Yes. Um, So this is when Tom... Uh, Jake's brother, who is a controller, is peer pressuring Tom and his friend, uh, Jake and his friends, to join the sharing, the um, the Yerk infested cult. And the kids decide that they're going to go to a meeting to kind of scope it out and see what's going on. So, I told Tom we were interested in attending the meeting. Me and Marco and Rachel and Cassie. We had already decided that Tobias would be there too only in a different way. Tonight's a great meeting to come to, Tom said enthusiastically. We're having a bonfire on the beach, you know, hanging out, playing games and stuff. We played night volleyball, which is so funny because half the time the guys can't even see the ball. It's great. It's the best organization. You'll love it. Listening to him, it sure didn't sound like the sharing was connected with the Yerks. You couldn't really picture Visser 3 or a bunch of taxons playing volleyball. I was thinking maybe we were all just nuts. The sharing was probably just like some new kind of co-ed Boy Scouts or something. It wasn't that far to the beach, so we decided not to drive there with Tom. We walked. Tobias walked partway with us, then he stepped behind a dark dune as we got close to the shore. A few minutes later, we saw a hawk take flight. There aren't many thermals at night, so we had to work to get altitude. But then I guess he found a decent enough updraft because he soared up and away until he disappeared. I have got to try that, Cassie said. It looks wonderful. Yeah, I agreed. Ahead, the bonfire burned bright on the dark beach. People were all around it, playing, talking, eating, kids from school, adults, people I didn't know, others I did. Were they all controllers, I wondered? How could I ever know? And was my own brother one of them? After about an hour of hanging out there on the beach, I was sure I was nuts. There was no way these guys were aliens. We played some volleyball, me and Tom, together on one team. We ate the barbecue ribs they had. I mean, it was just like this normal good time. The sand was still warm. The night air was chilly, but near the fire it was nice. Now you see why I enjoy this? Tom asked me. It's cool, I said. I looked around at all the people having fun. I didn't realize it was so much fun. Well, it's not all. That's not all it is, Tom said. I mean, it's more than just fun. The sharing can do all kinds of things for you, once you're a full member. How do you get to be a full member? I asked. He smiled mysteriously. Oh, that will come later. First, you become an associate member. Later, the leaders will decide whether to ask you to become a full member. Once you become a full member, the whole world changes. At that moment, something weird happened. I was looking at Tom, and he was smiling at me. But then his face kind of twitched. His head started to pull to one side, like he was trying to shake his head, only he couldn't quite do it. For just a split second, there was a look in his eyes, scared or or something. He was looking right at me, and it was like some different person, some scared person, was looking out of those same eyes. Then he was back to normal, or what looked like normal. I have to go for a while now, he said. 
the full members have a separate meeting. You guys stay here and have fun. Have some more of that barbecue. It's great, isn't it? With that, he was gone into the night. But it's because his human brother was trying to warn him, even though the alien didn't (laughs) want him to. (laughs) Oh my god, it's beautiful. All right. (laughs) Our last dramatic reading is not that beautiful. It is uh, Jake turning into a lizard. Here we go. I did it Monday morning in my locker at school. I turned into a lizard. A green anole, to be exact. It's a member of the iguana family. Like you care. I waited... That is in the text. That is not me being sassy. Yes. I waited till the bell rang for first period, which was English class. When everyone else was out of the hallway, I just climbed into my locker. I tried to act cool about it, just in case anyone was watching. The locker was about two inches shorter than me, so I had to crouch. And it was so tight I couldn't move. The only light was from the three small ventilation slits. I could hear my heart pounding in the cramped, dark space. I was afraid. It was one thing to turn into a dog. I mean, it's weird, it's strange, but it's also kind of cool. Dogs are cool animals. But lizards? I should have practiced, I muttered under my breath. I really should have practiced like Cassie said. I started to focus for the morphing. I remembered the way we had caught the lizard the night before last. We'd spotted it with a flashlight, and Cassie had put a bucket over it so it couldn't get away. It had been fairly creepy, just touching it to acquire its DNA pattern. Now I was going to become it. The first thing I noticed was that I suddenly had more room inside the locker. I didn't have to crouch down and my shoulders weren't scrunched up anymore. I touched my face with one hand. My skin was looser than it should have been, and pebbly to the touch. I ran my hand over my head. My hair was almost all gone. Things began to happen very fast. The locker grew and grew around me. It was big as a barn, big as a stadium. It was like falling, like falling off a skyscraper and taking forever to hit the ground. I was standing in something sticky, as large as a boulder. How had a boulder gotten into my locker? But then I realized it was a wad of gum. An old, chewed wad of gum stuck to the bottom of my locker. Gigantic drapes as big as the sails of a ship were falling all around me. They were my clothes. In the dim light, I could see two monstrous, misshapen things on either side of me. I could just make out the Nike swoosh and realize they were my shoes. They were size of houses. And then the lizard brain kicked in. Fear! Trapped! Run! Run! Run, 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 run! I shot left. A wall! I scampered up, feeling my feet stick to it. Trapped! I jumped back. Another hard surfaced. Trapped! Run, 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 run! I fought to get control, but the lizard brain was panicked. It didn't know where it was. It wanted out. Out! Go toward the light, I ordered my new body. The ventilation slipped. That was the way out. Guys, don't worry. He got out of the locker. (laughs) But it was real tense for a while. (laughs) This is so much more enriching knowing that it was like basically to to sneak people animal facts like (laughs) vegetables and brownies. Right. (laughs) Lizards don't like it in your locker. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, yeah, I guess that one maybe not so much, but I'm thinking back to, like, when they turned into ants and stuff. We learned, like, a lot about that ant colony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things of that nature. And, like, conservation, too, a lot of that, like, especially the talk about the gorillas, which we'll get into in a second, but there's another book that Catherine Applegate wrote about a gorilla. <laughs> All right, so that's our dramatic readings. Hopefully they persuaded you that these books are totally awesome because they are so awesome. <laughs> and now... And full of, like, Guillermo del Toro-level body horror. Oh, my gosh, right? <laughs> See, Netflix, get on this. We've got way better technology now <laughs> than whatever Nickelodeon was trying. I mean, to be honest, I'd rather see, like, a gritty Netflix version of this than a gritty re- reboot of The Tick. Are they doing that? Why? At one point, they they had said they were going to. It wasn't Netflix, it was Amazon that they were going to reboot the Tick, but they were going to make it like darker. And I was like, "Have you ever seen the Tick? Yeah. Do you know what made the Tick amazing? Stand what it's supposed to be. Maybe I don't know if if that project is still happening, but maybe they meant they were going to do an Animorph show where they turned into a Tick. Because that would be pretty (laughs) gross. All right, well, let's play some Would You Rather. And first of all, I think we've all just agreed we would rather watch a Netflix Animorph show than a gritty tick. But that's that's not one of the questions. <laughs> so first up is, would you rather morph a cat or a bird? Uh, sorry, Duarte. I have to say I'd rather morph a bird. I would really like to be able to fly. That sounds cool. Um, not like forever though, because I do like the internet and you know watching television and drinking. So I would definitely unmorph within two hours. You can do all of those things as a bird. <laughs> I too, sorry Duarte, would want to morph a bird. And I don't know if it's just like the fact that I read many animorphs books featuring a bird morph at a small at a young age, but um, yeah, just the being able to fly and experiment experience the thermals and all of that amazing bird stuff and have really good eyesight i mean i do agree that being a bird would be awesome and flying would be awesome but i'm I'm not just saying this because Duarte is here staring at me but i would morph a cat i think that would be great and i think maybe this is not a good sign but i spend a lot of time like at work or whatever i'm just like man like if i were a cat i would just be asleep right now Especially in the winter, like, when I'm on my way out the door and it's freezing out and Duarte is just, like, curled up in a blanket. I'm like, ah, that's the life. So, uh, I would want that. Just But as an Animorph, you would still have to, like, balance your work life with your saving the world life. So you would still have to go to work. You would just spend some of your home life as a cat. I don't know. Maybe I'll go full Tobias. (laughs) 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 We'll see. We'll see how things go. Yeah, but also, I don't know, like, I've taken planes before, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alright, next up, would you rather have a yerk inside you, or be a Christopher Pike-style lizard person? Uh, lizard person. I can't imagine any scenario where I would want a yerk inside my brain. Bring on the Christopher Pike. Definitely, like, despite all the, you know, having to sacrifice people and all that other weird shit that happened that you had to do if you were a lizard person, you know, you did get to be, like, kind of evil and weird and creepy and borderline, well, actual murdery. You know, that that seems much more 
appealing. You you have your sense of agency still, even as you are, you know, slowly taking over the world. That's I have not read the book in question, so I don't really know like what I'm signing up for. But my view is like on the internet, no one knows you're a lizard person, so you can still have like regular day to day interactions with people, presumably. It's true. Also, uh, lizard people were were a running theme for Christopher Pike. He had multiples, um, but yeah, they were. They looked like humans. They just were lizards. Sexy ah. lizards. Ooh. I bet they, there's a furry community to, for that. I believe they had to kill people to continue to look like humans. Right, yeah. But they did. Yes. Um, I will chime in. Not included in this book, but there were, like, controller resistors where the Yerk made friends with the human and they would sort of work to sabotage from within. So that was a possibility if you had a yerk. And that might be kind of cool, but mostly stressful. And I think I will also uh, choose to be a lizard person because the odds just seem better that you're going to end up with a pretty content life that way. Mm-hmm. And last up, would you rather have a boyfriend who is a sad bird all of the time or find a new partner on ChristianMingle.com? <laughs> Uh, well, as previously stated, I am not a furry or a whatever you would call the bird version of a furry. I don't want to fuck an animal. <laughs> so definitely ChristianMingle.com, our beloved sponsor, uh, where I know I could get someone who has the same values about not fucking an animal as I do. <laughs> uh, yes, same, of course. And even even when I was a kid reading this, I didn't even, like, think about Rachel and Tobias fucking, but even just, like, they can't kiss, like, they, he's a bird. Well, they could, actually, when he could turn back into a human, but that's not the question. The question is sad bird, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm asexual, so I'm not interested in fucking anyway, so I would not <laughs> mind having a sad bird boyfriend. I, I, I've written the fanfic, like, make it happen. Well, and there is something romantic sort of about it, like a real Romeo and Juliet sort of bird-human thing. Yeah, it worked for Lady Hawk. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Well, that's how we play Would You Rather. And now we will move on to some reader's advisory where we'll suggest things for you to read instead of or in addition to Animorphs. First of all, straight up, Animorphs is great. You should definitely all read it. Second of all, as mentioned earlier, K.A. Applegate, the author of Animorphs, was the the pseudonym of the husband-wife team of Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. And I gotta say that it seems like Catherine Applegate is maybe responsible for all the stuff that I liked about these books. Because, um, A, I've read a few of Michael Grant's things and I don't like them. And also, he is a real douchebag on social media all the time. And uh, mm. not cool, Michael Grant. But I, I met Catherine Applegate at a conference, and she was lovely. And I just want to, like, pledge myself to Catherine Applegate. So that said, I would say I don't recommend any Michael Grant stuff, but I would strongly recommend the book of The One and Only Ivan by Catherine Applegate, which won the Newbery a few years ago, and it's... You can see how it's born out of Animorphs because it's written from the point of view of a gorilla who lives at a mall, and it's it's so sad. I cried so much reading it, but it's really good if you like crying about animals, which I obviously do. 
Um, I'm going to recommend something that I can't help but wonder if uh, K.A. Applegate, if Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant read before they wrote Animorphs, which is um, the first run of Power Pack, which is a Marvel comic book uh, that was written by Louise Simonson. And I can't remember off the top of my head who did the art, but I'll look that up for the website. The Power Pack is about these children who they're siblings and one night while they have a famous scientist father and one night they're sleeping out on the porch having a camp out uh stargazing when they see a ufo flying towards the sky and it crashes and an alien comes out and he's maybe dying so he gives them special powers so that they could protect their father from the the alien the invading aliens that are on their way to earth imminently and they decide to use these powers to make the world a better place. Nice. But it's really good. I will recommend Black Mirror, which is this uh, British television show that there, there's like nine episodes so far. So it's pretty easy to catch up on. Uh, it's on Netflix. But um, it's an anthology style series like Twilight Zone, where like each episode has its own set of characters, uh, new set of characters and scenarios. Um, and it's basically these uh, all very dark scenarios involving um like uh how new technologies affect like human behavior and, and, and human psychology and how like the same tensions that, that already exist in the world um are like magnified by these new situations it's it's really intelligently written um it's gotten to be like really popular in a way so they're like attracting really like name talent like like one episode had uh Haley atwell and and don hall gleason um from who you'll know from like star wars and ex machina and and uh all of those like really awesome things um and then another episode has like john ham it's wild but um yeah just really well written stories about future technologies and the darkness in the human soul just like these children's books Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, friend of the show, Margaret H. Willison's podcast, Appointment Television, did Black Mirror as one of their TV book clubs. So if you are interested in watching Black Mirror, you might also want to listen to their podcast episodes about it. Yes. I haven't watched the show, but I endorse Appointment Television, the podcast. Uh, if you ever do, talk to me first and I'll tell you what you should watch. Okay. There are some not Renata friendly episodes. <laughs> Thanks oh, for looking out. <laughs> You're welcome. Another television recommendation that I'll make is the Sarah Jane Adventures, which is sort of the lesser known Doctor Who spinoff um, back from the era when Russell T. Davies was running the show. And, you know, right off, I will tell you straight away, like, do not worry. The Russell T. Davies need to murder all of his characters in order to, you know, make his main characters feel lots of pain and anguish is not present in this. Uh, it was aimed at younger children, and it's it's great. It's about uh, Sarah Jane, who was one of the Doctor's companions in the original Doctor Who, and who comes back in New Who briefly, and her adopted alien son, and all of the kind of shenanigans he and his friends get up to when they're trying to do their part to protect the world from aliens when the Doctor's not around. Uh, it's really good. Um, I'm going to throw in a quick recommendation for the movie The Lobster, in which uh, which Kate doesn't believe is a real movie. <laughs> I still think you made it up. But it's a real movie where the, 
the premise is it's a dystopia where um, if you're single, you have a limited amount of time to find a partner or else you get turned into an animal of your choice. Uh, Colin Farrell has chosen lobster. That's hence the title. If he doesn't find somebody, he'll get turned into a lobster. It's so weird. It's the one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. And I, I cannot honestly say if I liked it or not, but I just want everyone to go watch it, mainly so that... Uh, so that you can talk to me about it. So please watch it and talk to me about it because I really just want to have all these conversations with everyone. They're basically just like, what the fuck, right? Um, but that the lobster. Yeah, and obviously, you know, people turning into animals is the tie-in here. Although it is not <laughs> willingly and there are no take-backsies, so. <laughs> so from my second thing, I will do another teenage superhero, uh, Ms. Marvel, uh, the the new run by G. Willow Wilson. And it's just so much fun. Um, it, it is kind of the em- embrace of things millennial in a way. Like it, it's kind of refusing mm-hmm. to write off this uh, new generation and sort of like show the the, the heroism that um, that like this next generation is capable of. Uh, the, the main character is hilarious and heartfelt and just a joy to read. And yeah. Yes. I I mean, I'll co-sign Ms. Marvel. I think we've mentioned Ms. Marvel on the show before because it's so good. I think a lot of the kind of teen superheroes are a good read alike for this because it's, you know, kids saving the world. And I think especially a lot of the more recent Marvel stuff, I guess Marvel has almost always been pretty like tied into pop culture, but it's just the stuff that's coming out now feels timely and not like Chris Claremont stuff where... They're chewing Beeman's gum and whatnot, as previously discussed. Uh, one more book that I'll throw out, and this is actually something I had listed but not talked about for uh, for our X-Men read-alikes, so now I just want a chance to tell you all emphatically that I recommend Every Heart a Doorway by Shauna McGuire. Yes! Which, it's, it's kind of this weird little novella about a school where all these kids who have gone through to various different portals, they've fallen into different um, worlds, like, you know, all kind of like Narnia or uh, Alice in Wonderland, like whatever, they have come back to Earth and now they all have PTSD and they're just totally screwed up and they mostly want to get back to the world that they came from, but they have to learn how to get by in Earth. And it just, it reminds me a lot of Animorphs in how it treats this sort of whimsical situation with just a lot of gravity and and heart to it. And I don't want to give too much away, but it's just, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. And one of, like, few asexual protagonists that I've read about, which makes me very happy. One thing that I love about Shannon's work, uh, she, she's actually a good friend, um, like, she writes diversity in a very effortless way. Um, like, you almost, like, don't realize you're reading it until you realize, like, oh, like, I, I can recognize myself in this person and this person. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, there's, there's diversity across all... Um... I can't think of the word that I'm thinking of, but there's like sexual ethnicity, sexuality. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to think of. Never mind, a different concept. But yes, it's it's diverse in a lot of levels, and it really adds to the narrative. And it's and it's a really smart idea for a story, and really well executed. And please read it. Definitely. And also read Shannon McGuire's October Day series. I just illustrated a map for the, the the book coming out in September, so that's exciting. Awesome! Yay! 
Yeah, when we get when we get to the end, we can uh, mention Priscilla's website. But if you read fantasy <laughs> books, uh, you might you might have seen her work in the back of them, kind of or the front, wherever they're putting the maps. So kind of a big deal, you guys. <laughs> uh, all right. Does anybody else have anything else they want to highlight from our readers advisory? Because uh, we have more, and as always, the full list will be at our website, worstbestsellers.com, and you should check them all out. All right, so we'll move on then to our candy pairing, where, uh, like a restaurant might suggest a fine wine to accompany your meal, we will suggest a candy to accompany this book. Mine is Cinnabon Cinnamon Rolls, uh, which is, it's not very creative or anything, it's just Cinnabon is, like, very strongly linked to these books in my mind. Uh, although there were not any Cinnabons in this first book, in the rest of the series, they're, like, very omnipresent. To the point where I'm like, was were they getting Cinnabon money for this? <laughs> but actually, uh, they weren't. I remember an interview with, with them where they said they just put in the brands to make it feel more real, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't that. But I do really want a Cinnabon now. Same. Um, I went with Raven's Revenge, which was the hip, cool, serious, like, big kid candy of my middle school days, uh, which really was, in essence, if you are not a child of the 90s, uh, repackaged pixie sticks in little plastic test tubes with, like, crazy metal font that says Raven's Revenge on the side, um, much like these books, uh, it was ubiquitous and maybe not as mature as it liked to think it was, but still pretty cool in the eyes of those who were consuming it. I've never heard of that before. It was a big my- thing at my school. Wow. Also, Kate, meet me outside. <laughs> <laughs> so because, like, Cinnabon is the definitive Animorphs treat basically like like axe is completely infatuated with like, like it's definitely mentioned in glowing terms in like practically every book for and on but uh i am allergic to gluten so i'm gonna go with udi's uh, cinnamon like gluten-free cinnamon rolls and this amazing gluten-free churro stand that i just discovered uh, in los angeles called hugo's tacos so like that is where you will find me whenever i think about cinnamon rolls and that, that is kind of another, like, sign of adulthood. Like, <laughs> I can't have Cinnabon anymore, but I'll still think of it fondly with these books. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now we'll play our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in these books, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in these books, and Priscilla will choose which would most enhance the book, or choose paper, which would be to leave the book as is. All right. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a trusted adult in the Animorphs Kids community. Um, he's on his way home the night of the UFO crash, and he sees Alfangor's ship come crashing down. But by the time he gets to the site, all that's left is the burned up wreckage of the construction site um, with all the alien parts kind of erased by the fire. 
Um, he's suspicious of this story of fireworks that goes in the paper, but he goes along with it so he doesn't cause any trouble, thinking he can investigate later on his own. Um, the Animorphs kids notice that Vice Principal Chapman and some of the other adults in town keep trying to peer pressure the rock into coming to the sharing. So they correctly surmise that he's not a controller. And after some discussion about whether what they say will be believed, they put it to a vote and decide to share with him what they saw because he's the rock and he's super trustworthy. He is slightly skeptical at first, but once they demonstrate morphing for him, he's obviously totally on their side. And being a trusted and loved celebrity, he is able to crack open the larger Yurk conspiracy and rally the people of Earth into throwing off the shackles of Yurk oppression or whatever. Um, (laughs) But he saves the world is the important part because he's the rock. So, of course, he does. The end. Good job, the rock. But that's the thing, honestly, is is these books, I think they would subvert it and like even a figure as beloved as The Rock. Oh. But um, but moving on, if Wolverine were in this book, uh, he'd be out in California with the West Coast Avengers and they would get some kind of like cosmic radiation warning or like whatever comic science things happen uh, to let them know about the Andalite ship. And it's, it's low enough, it's probably nothing, but Wolverine goes to check it out anyway because... He wants a little break. And he's too late to save Elfanger, but he kind of, like, sees some shit go down. And he helps the Animorphs come up with some slightly more sound strategies to fight the Yerks. And also, with his mutant super senses, he can tell by his sense of smell if people are controllers or not. He can smell the slug, because sure. Uh, so that's helpful. And as they discover how big the Yerk pool is and how deep this goes down, he realizes that this is actually way more than five teenagers and an old man can handle, and he calls in the rest of the Avengers to help out. They, as a team, save the world, and the Animorphs get to be fairly non-traumatized teenagers who just can turn into birds if they feel like it, but they don't have to. See, where both of these fall apart is that, like, the Animorphs themselves eventually get overshadowed by people that, like, actually have some types of power to, uh, like, affect change in the world. And so it's not just, like, these little scrappy underdogs. So um, I am going to be an appreciator of both of these series until, like, Act 3, basically, where it becomes, like, oh, the Avengers take over or, like... The, the rest of humanity takes over. Yeah, like, give me paper at that point. Yeah. It, it, it's got to be about the kids saving the world. Yeah, honestly, I would choose paper also. Like, I think both of our scenarios, they would be more satisfying for the Animorphs themselves. Like, for their <laughs> their lives would be better. <laughs> they but... live to get driver's licenses. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I think that's really what we were kind of responding to is, like, wanting to try to protect these children with The Rock or Wolverine. But as a reader, like, you don't want that. Absolutely. So. So this is hurt, comfort, animorphs, fanfic. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's okay, little buddy. As Wolverine will help you. But he won't. Not really. Because you've chosen paper and doomed them, too. To this life. Yeah, sorry guys. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for playing. And now we will move on to the moral of the story. Mine is just mine... Uh, mine's just personal safety tip. Don't take shortcuts through construction sites at night. Mine is uh similarly 
a personal safety tip. Uh, when you see a UFO hurtling through the sky towards you, run in the other direction. Mine is a, also a safety tip, but for kind of the stranger danger angle, uh, be suspicious of strange dudes in construction sites that tell you they're a magical. there's a magical device in the back of their vehicle if you don't need to step inside. Absolutely. All of these things. And yet, again, if the Anwarfs had followed this advice, no books. So. <laughs> it would have been all up to Wolverine and the Rock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that should have been one of the uh, the special side books. <laughs> it's like the AU where they didn't go through the construction site and Wolverine and the Rock had to save the day. Uh, okay, now we will move on to Duarte's Corner where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the books. Duarte, you're right. Um, they were really lucky that they could change into cats whenever they wanted. And I, I mean, I have to say I do understand why they chose not to be cats all the time. But you're right. It does seem pretty appealing, honestly. Yeah, I have to disagree. If the entire book was from um, Tobias's point of view as a cat and he got stuck in cat form forever and then every other subsequent book was from his point of view as a cat... I think the series would lose some of its edge. <laughs> well, I don't know. There are some really riveting sunbeams that, that <laughs> Tobias needs to befriend over the course of this series. Yeah, and just like him making the Animorphs pull pieces of string for him. Shine <laughs> <laughs> laser pointers. Oh, yeah. You're right, Dorothy. They shine a laser pointer at Visor 3 and he <laughs> ravages them. <laughs> Uh, you're right, Dorte. I would read that book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? No. I probably should have mentioned this in the earlier section, but um, I, I was just remembering how pleasant it was. Uh, like th- thinking back on like the relationship between uh, Jake and Cassie, and how like the the generation that was reading this book thought nothing of the fact that it was an interracial couple, and like J.K. Rowling actually said in an interview that like she was so pleased that like she wasn't getting hate mail because she was anticipating that. Um, so like yay this generation for actually having a clue. That's cool. Also, I th- I think you meant K.A. Applegate. Unless this is a huge conspiracy and J.K. Rowling is K.A. Applegate <laughs> and Robert Galbraith. <laughs> you have like two initial inter- yeah. initials. I totally understood where they came from, but I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, we didn't. I, it's I don't so think. It's so great we- that Hermione's black and he has, she has a relationship with Ron who's white. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, J.K. Rowling should have done this um, canonically. I know it's in Hermione the play now. does turn into a cat person. Oh, so true. Yeah, we didn't mention how uh, how diverse the Animorphs are. Uh, Jake's a white guy, Cassie's black, Rachel's white, um, Marco's Latino, and Tobias is a bird. <laughs> so, pretty good, guys. <laughs> an underserved demographic. <laughs> all right, well, my closing thoughts are I'm going to say goodbye to all of you for a little while. I'm taking a little hiatus from the podcast for the next few episodes. I am uh, taking some time to travel this great nation and move to Boston, which is exciting for us all. But in the meantime, Kate will be uh, co-hosting the podcast with her roommate and our editor and a past guest on the podcast, Becca. So you'll be in great hands without me. 
It's true. Um, and we are going to be continuing, as I said earlier, this theme of uh, flashback summer. So uh, we have some great uh, committee written series of our youth to touch on again. Um, to kind of discuss the phenomenon of all these books and why we absorbed them and obsessed about them so much when we were kids, uh, starting next time with The Babysitter's Club by Anne M. Martin. Yep. And if you'd like to listen to that, you can find it at worstbestsellers.com, or uh, you can receive notices about that, I guess. If you follow us on Twitter at worstbestseller with no S, we had to get rid of the S to hide our identity from the Yerks. They would know too much. Um, or you can also find us on Facebook and Goodreads, where we are the worst bestsellers spelled normally. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, find us on Google Play as well. Uh, if you do subscribe to us, please remember to rate and review us. Uh, it kind of pops us up a little bit in the charts so that more people can find us and learn about the your conspiracy to take over the world. Unfortunately, if you don't rate and review us, we will be forced to trap you in rat morph for the rest of your life. <laughs> so dark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can find me personally on Twitter at 14 Across. Basically, if there is a social media to be had, my account name is Priscelli. That's P-R-I-S-C-E-L-L-I-E. And it's a name that Renata actually gave me in the Animorphs <laughs> fandom. So it, it is endured. It has endured. <laughs> yes. Wait, what's your website, though? Oh, Priscelli.com. Oh, okay. I thought you had a different one. But okay, Priscelli.com. Check, check out all of that. Like I mentioned earlier, check out her maps. They're super cool. You will, you'll find them in many a fantasy book that you have read, perhaps. Um, all right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I will see you in a month or so, but Kate will see you sooner than that. Actually, yep. see is the wrong verb. You'll hear her. Yes. But you, you knew what I meant. Don't be so literal person that I'm imagining responding to me right now. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll be actually seeing me more frequently than two weeks, though. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's going to go great. It's going to go great, me hosting. I'm so <laughs> eloquent. <laughs> oh, we are definitely professional podcasters. Yeah, definitely. definitely not three bad books in a trench coat. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. And Priscilla, thank you for joining us. And animals, thanks for saving the world. <laughs> Ththanks for having me. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Professional podcasters. <laughs>